In 2016, a young pop singer by the name of Selena Gomez came out with this hit song titled, The Heart Wants What It Wants. In it, she sings about her toxic on-again and off-again relationship with her then-boyfriend, Justin Bieber. She sings, there's a million reasons why I should give you up, but the heart wants what it wants. In her head, she knew that Justin wasn't good for her, but that didn't stop her from making the same mistake again and again, which led to multiple heartbreaks. The heart wants what it wants. What this song points to is the reality of our sin-sick hearts that desire the very things that aren't good for us and can ultimately destroy us. The text that we're about to look at this morning reveals the sin-sick hearts of the Israelites and of our own hearts, and that unless we're given a brand new heart, we're not able to fully love God and obey him. Let me give you a little bit of background for what was going on in Israel during the time when Jeremiah delivered this prophecy. The people had abandoned God's word and the hearts of the leaders were so corrupt, it led the entire nation into idolatry and injustice. Israel ultimately had to face the consequence of their sins and were carried off into exile by the Babylonians for 70 years. Things did not look good. They were living in a foreign land, forced to work in labor camps among the irrigation canals and the fields of their oppressors. But in the midst of defeat and judgment, God offers this word of hope. Look with me in verse 31 to 32. The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Not like the covenant I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, my covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, declares the Lord. Imagine with me a couple who had just gotten married. They had this beautiful, elaborate wedding where all their family and friends witnessed them exchange their vows to have and to hold, to love and to cherish till death do them part. But right after the ceremony, what if the wife, in the middle of their honeymoon, left the husband to be with another man? How shocking and devastating would that be for the newlywed husband? Such betrayal would make a mockery out of their wedding vows and shatter the love and the trust that the couple built together. You see, that's what sin does to us. It destroys us and the people we love. And that's what we see happening here between Israel and God. Yahweh, the God of Israel, was deeply grieved by the nation's idolatry. He's saying, Israel was like my wife. I called her out when she was nobody and made her into a great nation. I loved her and I gave her everything that she could have ever asked for. Identity, security, and provision. And yet, she betrayed me. Israel had committed spiritual adultery by worshiping false gods. You see, throughout scripture, 
God often used the metaphor of marriage to depict his relationship with his people. The old covenant mentioned here in verse 32 is the one that God made with Israel on Mount Sinai after delivering them out of Egypt. It was similar to a marriage contract, which was used in ancient Jewish weddings. Just like a couple exchanged their vows on their wedding day, God and Israel exchanged vows on the foot of Mount Sinai and they entered into covenant. To seal the deal, God inscribed his law on tablets of stone, tablets which were shattered when Moses saw how quickly the people abandoned their vows and worshiped an idol. As a result, God had to write the law a second time on stone tablets, but that didn't keep the people from straying again. In fact, this becomes a repeated pattern throughout the history of Israel. God was a good husband, and yet Israel kept cheating on God by worshiping other false gods. You know, sometimes when I read the Old Testament, I get really frustrated and annoyed at Israel. I don't know if that happens to anyone else here. You just want to go back in time and just shake them up. Like, what is wrong with you? You've witnessed repeatedly God's miraculous provision and mercy. How can you be worshiping these false gods? It doesn't make any sense. And yet, I have to remind myself that Israel's waywardness was not the condition of a soul people group, but it was the condition of the human heart. Earlier, the prophet Jeremiah says in chapter 17, verse 9, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? The human heart is desperately sick in that it is prone to sin and prone to wander. Just like that song, the heart wants what it wants, we want to do the right thing, but there's something in us that's bent on doing the wrong thing. Israel wanted to remain faithful. They wanted to obey God's laws, but their hearts were so corrupt, they weren't able to keep it. The old covenant was like a broken marriage. And yet, God, being the faithful husband, refused to give up on his wayward bride. Now, you might be sitting there thinking, well, how in the world do you restore a marriage like that? Like the one between God and Israel, where one party continues to cheat on their spouse over and over again. You can only take so much. And while it may seem really difficult to heal from such hurt and betrayal, what this text shows us is that God is way more committed to his people than they are to them. You see, God was not going to let our sin get the final word. Rather, his own faithfulness would bring about the fulfillment of his promises no matter what. He says in verse 33, for this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them and I will write it on their hearts and I will be their God and they shall be my people. 
God would make a new covenant with Israel that was different from the old covenant he made at Mount Sinai. See, this time, he wouldn't write the law on stone tablets, but he would write it on human hearts. During that time, the heart was not only perceived as a physical organ that sustained life, but it was considered to be the seat of human thought and intelligence. You see, without an advanced understanding of the human body, the ancient biblical writers didn't have a concept of the brain. There wasn't a word for that. They believed that it was actually the heart that was the center for one's thoughts, mind, will, and emotions, and thus making up the whole inner person. God's law was meant to shape one's entire being, but in the end, it didn't work for God to give his laws on tablets of stone because the people's hearts were still hearts of stone. The law remained external to them. It had never made its way into their heart. The only hope for humanity was a total renewal of the human heart. God says in Ezekiel verse 36, chapter 36, verse 26, and I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. The new covenant was an internal work. God would give his people a brand new heart and a new spirit so that they could be receptive to God. A while back, I was watching a story on the local news station about a woman who received a heart transplant after her heart was so badly damaged and failing due to chemotherapy treatments. After being hospitalized for months, she was on the waiting list to receive a heart. And one day, she received word that a donor heart was available, and so she quickly underwent surgery. Thankfully, the transplant was a success, and a year after her operation, she decided that she wanted to meet the parents of the donor, who happened to be a 30-year-old young man. Now, when she walks into the room to meet the donor's family, she immediately bursts into tears and embraces the father of the donor. And with tears streaming down her face, she looks at the father and says, thank you for making the hard decision on that day to give life. It was the greatest gift that I could have ever received. I wouldn't be here today if it weren't for your son. Receiving a heart transplant gave this woman a second chance at life. Her own heart was failing and it was impossible for her to live without a brand new heart. And in a way, that is what God the Father did for us when he gave up his son to die in our place. You see, our hearts were so sick with sin that there was nothing but death waiting for us until Jesus stepped in and offered us a spiritual heart transplant. 
The new covenant prophesied by Jeremiah was ultimately fulfilled through the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross. In the old covenant, God carved out his law on tablets of stone, but in the new covenant, he wrote his law on human hearts through the person of Jesus Christ. Jesus was the word made flesh, pierced for our sins. God speaks these words through the prophet Isaiah, behold, I have engraved you on the palm of my hands. He's engraved you on the palm of his hands. As Jesus died for us, a divine exchange took place on the cross. Our names were engraved in his nail-pierced hands, and his name was engraved on our hearts. It wasn't years later until her song, The Heart Wants What It Wants, came out that Selena Gomez finally recognized that something in her needed to change. Her sin-sick heart kept leading her back into the same cycle of pain and suffering. She discovered what the Bible shows us, which is that we are all in need of a spiritual heart transplant. It's not a new boyfriend or girlfriend or a new spouse or a new job or our own efforts that will make things right again, but it is only a brand new heart that will put us in right relationship with God. And with renewed hearts, we can draw near to God like never before. Read with me in verse 34. And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sin no more. Through his death and resurrection, Jesus paid the price to renew our sin-sick hearts so that everyone can know God, not just a select few. Not just the religious leaders or soul people group, but every man, woman, and child now has the capacity to know God. That word know in verse 34 is the same Hebrew word used in Genesis 4 when Adam knew his wife Eve and she conceived. It spoke of a personal, intimate knowledge of God. That means that we don't have to know God through anyone else, not through a friend or through a pastor or through anyone else's testimony, but we have the capacity to intimately know God for ourselves because Jesus has given us a new heart. At one point during the meeting, the woman who received the heart transplant asks the father of the donor if he would like to listen to his son's heartbeat. So she hands the father a stethoscope and places the bell on her chest. Immediately, the father's eyes well up with tears as he begins to hear the sound of his son's heart beating inside of her chest. He looks up at the woman. His voice choked with emotion says, 
Thank you for keeping my son alive. Hearing his heartbeat is like holding him again. Thank you for keeping my son alive. You see, for that man, his son was not dead, but he was alive through the woman who had received his heart. Jesus has given us a new heart so that we can keep him alive in us. How do we do that? By letting his heart, his thought, his emotions, his will take over our own. God didn't give us the law so that we would be slightly better versions of ourselves, but he wants us to be transformed from the inside out. That's not gonna happen with self-effort or willpower. It can only happen with the all-consuming love of God. Jesus comes alive in us when we allow his love for us to permeate every aspect of our lives. Earlier this morning, as the pastors were praying for all of you, the Lord showed me an image of an operating table, and he was inviting us to get on. Jesus is our Savior, and he's also the great physician. There might be some of us here in this room who might be going through some really hard things right now, whether it's emotional or physical. If that's you, I just want to encourage you today that Jesus wants to do deep surgery. He wants to bring life and healing into you. As we close, I'd like to invite you to just close your eyes and place your hand over your heart. Lord Jesus, I thank you that you are the healer and the lover of our souls. We thank you for giving us a new heart and a new spirit so that we can know you intimately and follow you. We ask that you would be seated on the throne of our hearts. Please remove everything in us that would hinder us from loving you with our whole heart, mind, and strength. Plant in us your word, your thoughts, your desires, your dreams, and your purpose so that we may walk in your ways and keep you alive. Grant us the power to comprehend with all believers the breadth and length and height and depth of your unfailing love that surpasses knowledge so that we may be filled with the fullness of God. We ask this in the name of our beloved Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. As the children join us this morning, please stand for our communion song.
Amen. You may be seated. This table is a simple reminder of the new covenant of Jesus' body broken for us and his blood shed for us. You see, when the covenant was broken, God in his sovereignty, instead of making us repair, he pursued us. He pursued and he pursued and he pursued us all the way to the cross. And not only did he pursue us to save us, but he pursued us to give us a new heart. So as you approach the table today, ask the Lord for that new heart, that heart transplant that he desires for you. And one of the ways we ask for a new heart is by recognizing the brokenness of our own sinful hearts. And we do this in confession. So let us confess our sins together to the Lord. Merciful God, we confess that we have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed, by what we have done and by what we have left undone. We have not loved you with our whole heart and mind and strength. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. In your mercy, forgive what we have been, help us amend what we are, and direct what we shall be, so that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your holy name. Amen. Amen. Now I remind you of the good news found in the book of Titus. Chapter 3, verse 4, and it says this, But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, He saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to His mercy. Now I can confidently say, because of the finished work of Jesus on the cross and His mercy poured out our sins, are forgiven. Now I remind you of the words that the Apostle Paul wrote to the believers gathered together in Corinth. He said, that which I received from the Lord I pass on to you, that on the night Jesus was betrayed, he took bread, and after giving thanks, he broke it. And he said, this is my body broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, after supper, he took the cup and he said, this cup is the new covenant shed in my blood for the forgiveness of sins for you and for many. Whenever you drink of it, do so in remembrance of me. So now, dear friends, whenever we eat this bread and we drink this cup, we celebrate the mystery of the faith that Christ has died, Christ has risen, and Christ will come again. Let us pray to consecrate these elements in ourselves to the Lord. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your faithfulness to us and how this table is a reminder of how you pursue and pursue and pursue. Lord, not only to show us mercy and to forgive our sins, but you pursue us to give us that new heart. So God, as we approach the altar this morning, and we partake in these simple elements of bread and unfermented grape juice. 
may we receive that new heart that you promise. And we pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. So I remind you as you approach the front, uh, we'll have two communion stations here and we'll have two also upstairs. Each communion station will have two servers. Uh, The first server will have bread. If you desire gluten-free bread, please ask your server. The second server will have two cups. You can either dip in one or sip from the other, whatever is your tradition or your preference. And downstairs, beyond the communion stations, we'll have two confidential prayer teams. If you have any prayer requests you want to bring before the living God, I encourage you to pray with these teams. They're both trained and confidential. Also, after our service, we have elder healing prayer. It's right through this door. You'll see the prayer room as you walk straight through that door. And also, this is First Communion Sunday, so I encourage you parents, um, have a conversation with your children. If you think that your kids are not ready to partake in the elements yet, then just encourage them to come forward with you and cross their arms so that they can receive a blessing from the servers. The table has been prepared, so let us approach it with great joy. Servers. Thank you.